I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash guest. On this episode of the Be Here Now Network's guest podcast, Roshi Joan Halifax explains the three jewels of refuge and how we can find a safe place within ourselves. We are given the call to take refuge in the awakened nature of all beings, a refuge in the moment and in the interconnectedness of all beings. In doing so, we find the Buddha nature within. You know, I was um, raised in the South, and uh, so, so was Vishnu Das. And I went to school in the South. And, um, you know, it's a world, it's a culture, it's a particular feel. And uh, part of that feel has to do with um, uh, the sorrowing that comes from various forms of oppression that um, the less fortunate people of the South experienced for centuries. So when a Vishnu Das 
chants. I, for me, it's, you know, uh, the blues. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wow. I mean, it's, it's that feeling um, that I was trying to wrap words around yesterday when uh, Ramdas and I were having our uh, exchange about what do we mean by soul. And it's the same feeling I get uh, when Krishna Das chants. You know, it's like this connection from the marrow of the heart. So in um, Buddhism, uh, we take refuge. And we take refuge um, in, in the kind of outer way in the, the three treasures, the three jewels. And also it's the inner way and the secret way as well. And for me, it's the blues. That's what singing the blues carries for me at the feeling of the three treasures. And the Buddha treasure, when we take refuge in the Buddha, we could say we take refuge in the historical Buddha. Just the same feeling that um, you get from KD and RD uh, around uh, Neem Karoli Baba. You know, they really took refuge in that person. They really came home. They returned to who they really are in being in the presence of this person. And in a way, coming together at this time, the karma that brought us together in a certain way speaks to each one of you having helped numberless beings in a past life. And the karma's ripened to bring us into the, the blessing of this place and the blessing of each other. I said on Facebook when um, Deb posted a picture of me and uh, Ramdas. In a way, I've been in the contrast field, you know, feeling just so much bhakti, so much Buddha heart, so much love, healing in you, and also in this very environment, like Noah saying, Roshi, dolphins, and going out onto the balcony and seeing this pot of dolphins frolicking in the middle of the bay, and just feeling this blessing from the dolphins, from the ocean, from the weather, and from all of you, and that's Buddha. That's awakening. I mean, there's the historical Buddha, and there's the historical Neem Karoli Baba, but we're also speaking about your awakening, and the awakening from suffering, which is not just the very particular relative suffering, for example, of Nepal, which I think many of us have, are caring at this moment because so many of us have been in that world. But it's also the suffering of delusion that makes it hard for aid relief to get into Nepal. It's like, hello. 
That's not helping good karma to ripen. So for me, taking refuge in the Buddha is not just the historical Buddha, but it's also the awakened nature of all beings, including the most confused, crossed-up ones in the world. And part of, for me, of coming here has been this experience of becoming, um, in a way, more sensitive um, and uh, taking time where I can access more subtle aspects of my mind, heart, and psyche, and body. And at the same time, as I said, it's hard to be here when there's so much suffering in a place that I cherish. But for me, um, taking refuge in the Buddha of this moment means that I'm kind of banking the goodness that we're sharing together. On Friday, I begin uh, leading an eight-day training with 70 clinicians from, literally from all over the world, Singapore, Europe, the United States, who work in the end-of-life care field and come to Upaya um, in order to learn the skills of the heart. And it's a really, I mean, it's kind of a cool thing. It's a For example, doctors get 54 CMEs. They get to bank the continuing medical education credit, so to speak, for doing the work that um, opens the heart and the mind to create more capacity for bearing witness to the truth of suffering for accessing one's awakened nature. When I was working in the prison system, I was a volunteer in that system for six years, working on death row and in maximum security at the penitentiary of New Mexico. And all of the guests, if you will, of that system of where I worked um, were people who had killed other people. And I'll say there wasn't one rich white man uh, in that place. You could really see the effects of um, structural violence, not only in the system of the prison, but also in our very culture. It's not just Nepal, it's Baltimore, it's Ferguson, it's New York, it's your hometown my hometown. And learning how the courage to love means um, being able to actually understand the resources that we have are not to be hoarded, but to be shared. The first paramita, the first perfection, the first manifestation of a bodhisattva is a mind and heart and body and a village that's characterized by generosity. So taking refuge in the Buddha means to have this kind of abundant heart where we're not fostering a mind of poverty in ourselves or others. Not afraid that we're not, we don't have enough time, enough resources, enough, enough. 
So working inside that system, um, you know, I actually made it my business to learn about uh, the suffering that the inmates that I was working with, with whom I was working, um, the particularities of what brought them into the system, the prison system. It wasn't a matter of uh, me just relating to confidentiality inside the system. I wanted to know what really happened according to the public record. Part of that is to understand the, the nature of suffering. Knowing that no matter how egregious the crime, there were deeper roots into why that crime was committed. Whether it was with children or old people or people of the same culture, different culture of the same SES or a different SES. And at the same time, I wanted to hold my whole heart open to each man's awakened nature. And so the work that I did in terms of my own process was the study of the particularities of suffering and the roots of that suffering, which are, of course, in individuals' psychologies, but also rooted in our own society rooted in our media, rooted in our greed, rooted in our skepticism and hatred. That it wasn't a matter of just generalizing, but it was also taking responsibility myself for what feeds the kind of suffering that causes one human being to murder another, whether in a senseless war or to get more drugs. And at the same time, sitting with a man <clears throat> on death row and seeing his unconditioned heart, seeing more deeply than his personal history, but not putting that history aside, but also seeing at the same time, holding the whole catastrophe and also the whole beauty of who that person is, holding an ultimate regard so for me, that's a little bit my practice. To see Buddha nature, but also to see, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, this is a suffering Buddha. I too am a suffering Buddha. And not taking refuge in that person's suffering. We condemn each other in a certain way to a particular neurotic pattern. That's, you say, well, my, you know, this one is that, and so and so. But to take refuge in how we are with each other, in each other's awakened nature, in each other's potentiality to awaken. Maybe not this lifetime, but in some lifetime. So when I take refuge in the Buddha, I'm taking refuge. I just, I dig the Buddha because I think he was a very um, uh, smart person. 
he had some very pragmatic insights which have helped me work with the suffering of my life. But also it's taking refuge in the awakened nature of all beings, not just in one particular being. So Neem Kroli Baba is an incredible inspiration for me, as is Ram Das, Krishna Das, as are you. That you show up and let go into the field of joy, into the love field. You have the courage to love. And love is, for me, no different than awakening. The second treasure or jewel that we old Buddhists take refuge in is the refuge of the Dharma. And we could say, you know, from one point of view, the Dharma are the very cool teachings and the glossing on the teachings, the commentary on the teachings that have arisen out of the great stream of the Buddhas and ancestors. At the same time, the word dharma, which, as I mentioned a few days ago, relates beautifully to the word truth. So Ram Dass's book, Be Here Now, what, what taking refuge in the dharma for me is not only taking refuge in the teachings of the Buddha, in the ocean of wisdom and compassion, but also in this very moment. Not freaking out about the future, not regretting the past, but to understand the, what Thich Nhat Hanh has called the miracle of this moment. Taking refuge in this moment, being here now, That's the second jewel. And oh, yes, we're tugged off the track of the now all the time. And I love what our good friend Sharon Salzberg says. You know, you can begin again. That's our work. We begin again. We return home again. We find ourselves in separation. We're caught on the threshold or in this liminal state, in the crosshairs of thoughts and feelings and anxieties about the future and regrets about the past, desires that are unfulfilled, wanting things that aren't really accessible to us right now and taking refuge in the dharmas to take refuge in the now, including all of that and also the miracle of this moment. So this morning, I got onto the miracle of Facebook. It's just so mind-blowing to see what these people are doing in Nepal. A 101-year-old man was just pulled from the rubble after seven days of being caught. I mean, just mind-blowing. We thought 36 hours was a lot. Seven days, 101 
What is it about the mountains and the people of that country where there's been so much economic disparity, so much suffering, where a really old one has the heart to make it through and to be pulled from the ashes, a bright coal? Seeing our friends, Pasang Akita Sherpa and Tora Akita and Angdu Rinjin Lama, out in Nuakot, delivering tarps and rice. Seeing Chewang Lama from Tsum working really hard to create the conditions so resources can get into Tsum, this very remote valley that was deeply affected by the quake. What is it to develop a heart that takes refuge in the now but does not exclude the great potentialities of this moment to heal? And the third treasure, the third jewel that we take refuge in is the jewel of the Sangha. And originally I think it was referred primarily to Monks first, nuns second, and then practitioners of lay men and lay women. But we realize everything is practicing with us, including our very atmosphere. The earth, the mountains, the ocean, the species who are threatened with extinction, practicing with us, waking us up to our habits of consumption, saying, stop, stop. So we can ask ourselves, what do we take refuge in? The theme of our time together has been directed toward taking refuge and having the heart, the courage, to take refuge in love, which means this state of not being separated from any being or thing. So I want to tell you a story. This is the little last koan that I'll share. It's very simple. There is a buffalo. And that buffalo passes through a latticed window. The horns pass through. The head passes through. The four legs pass through along with the body. 
only the little tail doesn't pass through. So I invite you for just a few moments. What is that little tail in your la life that doesn't pass through the latticed window? There is a latticed window. The horns pass through. The head passes through. The four legs pass through. Only that little tail doesn't pass through. What is it? What is it? You got it? Okay. Let's unpack first with each other. We'll take five minutes. Just turn to a person close to you. Don't escape. Stay with it. This is not a toilet break. You're going to get yours shortly. I just want to stay with the tail for a moment. I mean, you know, a tail is a really interesting thing. It follows you everywhere you go. You know, you sit on it. It covers up you-know-what. It's very useful at getting rid of flies and other things. But you can't exactly see it. Uh-oh. So what's the deal with this tale? Everything passes through the latticed window, but not that little tale. What's the deal? What do you see? Okay, someone go to Essence. So his whole body smashes through that fragile thing. So it's 99% in. And there's 1% left. And whatever that 1% is, you'll feel it and know it. it. It might be fear stuck somewhere, or it might be um, the, just the unknown. What is that reserve? What is that 1%? If the 99% is through, and there's an awakening in that 99% because you've broken through that threshold and there's that 1% left, but you don't know what it is, then that's where the work lies. Okay, now is, just shift it to I. That was my I. Well, go for it. <laughs> give it, hers give was, me it in I. Yeah, hers, hers was the fear about the 1%, and now I, but I have no fear. For me, it's the reserve. That's okay. You can laugh at that. That's okay. I wish I could say that. That's all right. Okay. The 1% for me is the reserve. What is that reserve that I don't know about? It's the unknown. So okay. now I need to go deeper into that to get the resolve, and then, and then the whole thing will be through. So if I were in my Zen 
role, I'd say, is that so? <laughs> so that's what Hakuin says, is that so? Which is not to affirm or not affirm, but wonderful. Is that so? Thank you. Okay, let's go for it. I'm just going to say, is that so? So don't worry. Hi. Hi. We were uh, talking about um, the tail almost like the string of a balloon that you're hooked on. And um, for me, it's uh, lack of trust. Like, what's going to happen if the balloon just, it would just float off into space? And what would happen? And so fear and lack of trust. Um, is Vincent. that so? Yeah. Uh, no? I'm not saying affirming. I'm not not affirming. That's what Good. it feels like. Wonderful. Hi. Um, we were talking about uh, the tail uh, as being... Well, first of all, when you pass through the veil, the lattice window, uh, all of you goes through except the little tail being the little tail that you tell yourself about yourself. Oh, is that so? So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, leaving the ego behind, I guess. Following up on your comment, the tales of our lives are essential. We can't move forward leaving a piece of our story behind. It's Can you say I? Don't I, speak for me. I can't <laughs> move forward leaving a piece of my story behind. Is that so? Hi. Um, I'll just give a personal metaphor because... Um, a month ago, I didn't shave my tail, but I shaved my hair. And uh, <laughs> thanks um, for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> it um, growing up in the culture I grew up, which is very aesthetically oriented. Um, I see the tail as a, a big representation of the ego, as, as um, an attachment to, and we have different levels of attachment. And I believe that we have attachments that or fears that we don't even understand or are aware of. And um, the, sh the shaving of the head was um, encountering and looking at um, having the courage to encounter some of those those fears and let go, fears of what my mom would think, fears of what society would think. Are you a nun? Are you gay? Are you sick? Are you... And um, so, so yeah, there are many different levels, and I think that the tale that can go through are those perhaps subconscious fears or even conscious fears that we have that we're not willing to let go. Is that so... <laughs> When I think about uh, a buffalo approaching a lattice window, the, the parts that you wouldn't anticipate could pass through would be all of the parts that did, 
and the part that you would think could pass through easily is exactly what didn't. So to me, that conjures up this feeling that I've had over the past few days about anticipation and anxiety and that, that what actually happens in the present moment is, is often entirely different than what you mm. anticipate it will be. Mm. Is that so? I, um, I love the story so much. I loved the, the start with the window. For me, I view experiences as windows or doorways, and so I love that it started with that. I love the idea of lattice, letting in light and blocking out light. And then as the, the buffalo started to go through and the different body parts started to go through and what was left was the tail, I thought about my own tail and my own story and how uh, sometimes it's the little parts that suck me back in. And then I thought about how all these parts went through and even the way the legs went through before the body, there wasn't a logical order to the way that things go. And then I thought, well, if it's a lattice, either that's a really big lattice for all these parts to fit through, and then is the, that so? <laughs> the tail, the tail would easily go, or it's all an illusion, is what it came came to for me, because the lattice is as we create it for me. Is that so? I don't want you guys to think so much. Wow. I found myself wondering if you were giving us a clue right as you send us off into our dyads and that that clue was, now don't escape. So I thought about maybe the buffalo was almost entirely escaping, except for there was that little tiny bit of tail that was left. And that was really where the jewel was. And so that as long as I can still grab onto the tip of that tail, all is not lost. Mm. Is that really so? Um, one thing that just struck me is I tend to get obsessed with the fact that the tail didn't pass through instead of celebrating the fact that the whole rest of it did. And that's awesome. Is that so? <laughs> Lovely. Um, for several years, I've been working with a dream that has to do with a small snake that I carry in a lovely little basket, and then this huge serpent that I see when I come around the corner that terrifies me. And for me, I think the tale has to do with this phenomenal um, vastness that both um, needs to pass through and it frightens me deeply about the disillusion that will have to happen. And I sit there with all of me through but the tail and the big serpent. Is that, Is that so? The Hakuin story goes as follows, just quickly. So a village girl became pregnant, and after the birth of her child, she was asked, well, now, who is the father? And she pointed up the mountain to where Hakuin was staying, and the parents were enraged. How could a monk 
do something like that. With the village girl, the baby, they marched up to the monastery and said, Look at this. This is your child. And Hakwin said, Is that so? And took the child in. Some weeks later, the villager girl confessed, Oh, you know, it was my boyfriend so-and-so. Oh. The parents and the girl marched up to retrieve the baby. Hakuin said, when they confronted him with their stupidity, Is that so? So how do we cultivate a quality of mind that sits, as R.D. would call it, in the mystery, that sits with not knowing? So what is this little tale? What is it? Let's hear from two more of you. So I heard the buffalo as coming out of emptiness and into life, and the tail representing that piece of me that's always connected to the emptiness. Beautiful. And is that so? <laughs> One more. Okay, I know that there's several out there that want to do this, but I just got to hear from Gabriel, because you know whatever's going to come out is going to be wild, so let's... <laughs> That's so. <laughs> Michael, is that so? Um, um, the thing is, it is too big for the thing that it's freely passing through. Um, and those moments, those little tiny moments in this particular go around the bend that I've felt like, oh, this is it. I did it, you know? The, the, the tale for me is, this is it, I did it. Um, and it always is a tale, it always is a story, it always is an imaginary storyteller telling an imaginary story listener, and that was the moment that, wait, what, like, and then it's gone. As soon as I try to catch it, It stops passing through. Is that so? Wonderful. The thread through of our time together with me has been around the kind of phase shift that um, everybody in this room has been through to varying degrees and some more than others and also that we will actually go through in the dying process whether we die in an instant or it's the prolonged death of life. And the first 
phase that I talked about was the phase of separation, of losing all those reference points. And the koan that I shared was Kyogen's man in a tree. There's a man hanging from a branch. His teeth are wrapped around that branch, but his hands and feet can't touch the tree. Another man passes underneath and says, oh, why did Baba Ramdas come from the West? If the man opens his mouth to help the other man, he falls to his death. If he doesn't open his mouth, he doesn't help. End of story. This koan points to many things, not the least of which of our deep need for a reference point. And that we're in this groundless state moment by moment. And that separation in this first phase of a rite of passage is a se separation from reference points, from a sense of stability, of groundedness, of security. And sometimes we're ripped from it. And sometimes we seek to be ripped from it. And sometimes society gives us a means to be ripped from it with set and setting in place. The second phase in a rite of passage is what? What do you remember? The threshold, this liminal space of being betwixt and between, of being thrashed, of being taken apart. In the shaman's world, it's being dismembered psychically, being trashed and thrashed. And some of you have been in that dissolution process, and it's been really scary. And some of you will meet that dissolution process in the experience of dying. And how do you prepare for it? For me, the preparation was not very well done. If I'd had a practice, if I had had a way that my psyche had been trained, I probably could have taken an even deeper plunge into not knowing. So what was the second story, the second koan? Just say it from day before yesterday. The what? There we are sitting in the darkness of not knowing, but also the potential of that darkness is of the absolute, of a non-dual state where you can't really differentiate self from other, where that becomes a potentiality. And then there's a part of us who can, instead of resting in futility, actually exercise power and initiative and confidence that takes the tongs of skillful means and retrieves the coal from the ashes 
and confronts ourselves with, what is this? What is this? And the third koan, the, from the iron flute, who remembers the story? There is a little hut, and that little hut is this moment. And inside that hut is a nameless monk who has been practicing for many years. And serving that nameless monk is a young practitioner who accidentally breaks the tray. And the old monk says, give me my tray. And the young monk goes and tries to find a new tray, but bah, not that one, not that one, not that, not that. And the call is to intimacy. What my sister with the glasses who began, it is being in that state of no fear. What is it to really return home to who you are, to where you are, to what you are? Which is, in a way, back in both of those koans, in this groundless, open state, resting without seeking a solution. And there are two sides to this equation. One side is cultivating this sense of incredible boundlessness, of boundless love. And the other side of the equation is seeing the truth of suffering and showing up and doing the best you can, as bodhisattvas do, to relieve suffering. I think that the story that R.D. told yesterday about the founding of Seva is really an important story, because we could just rest in bliss. But what Love, Serve, Remember pivots on is the word serve. How do we serve in this selfless way? How do we meet the truth of suffering and do the best we can, knowing that the outcome for all inevitably will be death? And what is death? Is it the end or is it the most precious moment of liberation? So we're working in a certain way with both of these equations, offering our deepest best to the world, taking into account not only the suffering, but also the joy, as Katie characterized in this chant that he created, co-created with Bernie. And at the same time, resting in your awakened heart, in your non-dual space. And I'm reminded of an encounter between Basho, who was an incredible haiku master, and a monk. And the monk asked Basho, well, 
what's the nature of your practice? And Basho said, whatever will serve. Whatever will serve. So this morning we touched into the three refuges with the call to take refuge in the awakened nature of all beings. With the call to take refuge in this moment as it is, as an expression of both wisdom and compassion and to take refuge in the interconnectedness of all beings, understanding that every being and thing is our sangha. No one is outside of that 